0: There was a time when our faith was under attack. And to respond to those attacks, we came up with five things that were essential to our Christian faith. And we'll take a look at those five things over the course of our next few programs. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our program. Today we embark on a simple little series taking a look at what has been commonly called the five solas. Those five things that the Christian faith stand on, the five pillars as it were, sola scriptura. Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. We begin our time together today with a look at the Scriptures. Scripture alone. That's the emphasis. Here's our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, with today's program. For the next several
1: weeks, we're going to be taking kind of a, a shot at this series called The Five Solas of the Reformation. I just wanted to use it as a foundation as we start the new year just as a reminder of what our church is all about. Uh, just a, a couple verses, you, you have the uh, references there, but we'll be looking at those in a little bit. But the one thing that I think that we can ask ourselves as a church is what kind of church is this? What do we stand for? We could say, well, we're 69 years old as a church. We're non-denominational. We have various ministries support various missionaries um, we've had several pastors I think if I count right I'm the twelfth pastor here since uh, grace Bible's inception in nineteen forty eight um, i I found this some of you may have read this before but it's uh, forty years and uh, Bill Stone, who actually owned the house that we live in today, wrote this little poem called 40 Years. And this was on the 40-year anniversary of Grace Bible Church. And it says this, "'Twas 40 years ago today that we started on our way to become in word and deed a present help in time of need. Although in numbers we're not great, I trust in faithfulness we rate." And on to Jesus, give our all, and answer when we hear him call. He poureth out from heaven above the, fulfill, the fullness of his grace and love. He knows our need and freely gives the strength we need to help us live. And uh, May 9th, 1948, Grace Bible Church was started with 53 members. It's an interesting history if you ever want to look at that little booklet. It has a lot of information in there on how they got this property by faith and how they uh, built the fellowship hall first and then uh, the education wing and then in 1970, I think it was, uh, this building here was completed. And the one thing that they founded this church on was clearly the Word of God upholding the Word of God, teaching through the Word of God. One of the things that we need to be reminded of, and just a little bit of introduction here and background on our message this morning, you have your notes there, but there was a man named Martin Luther. And he lived from November 10th, 1483, to February 18th, 1546. The Protestant movement as we know it began on October 31st, 1517 and it was started by this obscure catholic monk named martin luther and he took his 95 thesis and he nailed it to the door of the church of the castle church in wittenberg germany i'm sure he had no idea what his actions were about to do (laughs) throughout history he hoped to spark debate about the church's practices Um, the Catholic Church's practices that he considered corrupt. And instead, he basically ignited a revolution that the flame still burns bright to this day. From all the way back there at that church door in Wittenberg, Protestants stand in opposition to error because of all that Martin Luther said and did. The word itself, Protestant comes from the word protest. They were protesting what the church was teaching its people back then. They had gotten away from the word of God. They had gotten away from anything biblical, really. And they started to teach errant doctrine. And unfortunately, it led them down the wrong path. But we want to we start this series just to kind of give us a little background on our Protestant heritage. And coming out of the Catholic Church myself, being saved out of that when I was 19, it really means a lot to me what these men did in the Reformation. And so we have basically five pillars of the Reformation, five solas that they laid out. Sola Scriptura, the Bible alone. Sola Christus, which means Christ alone. Sola Gratia, gracia, means grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. And then glory of God above all was the fifth one. And this revolution took place because one man decided, you know what? What's going on here is not right. They were taking advantage of the people. They were corrupt financially. They were corrupt when it came to what the word of God said. And basically, unfortunately, it was all about the the mighty dollar. A lot of people don't realize this, but priests originally were able to marry. They had families. And at a certain point in time in the church, they thought it would be more financially efficient for the church if the priests had nobody to support. And so the Pope declared that, you know what? If you want to be a priest, you have to be celibate. And so they put all these children of the priests and their wives out. Put them right out on the street. And they thought, you know what, this will help this person focus more on their calling and all this stuff. But it really had to do with the money of supporting a family. A lot of people don't realize that. And then it was after that time that the church declared that now you have to call these priests that just disowned their families father. (laughs) Kind of ironic, isn't it? Our our Christianity today is divided into those two segments. You have those of the Catholic faith, and this isn't meant to beat up on them um, by no means. It's meant to enlighten and hopefully shed some light on some of their doctrines, but more importantly, to shed the light on the doctrines that we share in common as fellow believers. And so when you you look at those five solas there... Uh, the first one we want to look at, basically, is um, the idea that, that Sola Scriptura, the idea that the Bible and the Bible only is the basis of our faith. And, and that's really the material principle, you might say, of the Reformation, because it touches everything else when it comes to our faith. If we don't believe in the Bible and we don't believe that the Bible's inspired, the Word of God, we have nothing to stand on. How can we know the truth about God? When churches can't agree, where do we go? Or when the church is wrong, or the priest is wrong, or the pastor is wrong, how do we know he's wrong? Well, the Reformation's came up with this idea of sola scriptura, the the idea that we go to the Bible because it stands supreme above all other books, all other opinions, because it alone is pure and undiluted, the Word of God. And so as we look at this this. Doctrine. I want to read a, a just a segment out of a confession of faith. It's called the Belgic Confession of Faith. It says, We believe that the Holy Scriptures fully contain the will of God, and that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. Neither may we consider any writings of men. However holy these men may have been, or equal value... Of equal value with those divine scriptures, nor ought we to consider custom or the great multitude or antiquity or succession of times and persons or councils, decrees or statutes as of equal value with the truth of God. Therefore, we reject with all of our hearts whatsoever does not agree with this infallible rule. I mean, that's pretty clear. I mean, the phrase there when it says, of equal value. See, sola scriptura does not mean that we reject church history. It doesn't mean that we reject tradition. It doesn't mean that we reject councils or commentaries or even opinions of of learned scholars. They have great value for the church. And the church should never reject the wisdom passed down from previous generations. However, we believe that those things, as good as they are, can never be of what? Equal value with the word of God. That's so important to understand. It stands supreme. It's the, someone called it the supreme court of the Christian faith. And it's something that within Christendom today, even within the Protestant churches, people don't understand this as well maybe as they did at one time in the history of the church. A lot of times we rely on tradition. Or we rely on the teachings of someone else. A lot of times we go to a book that somebody wrote. And say, well, this is what they say. A lot of times as believers, I hear believers say this all the time. Well, I feel this. I feel that. And there's nothing wrong with your feelings. God gave you gave your emotions your feelings. But your feelings... And I'll even include in there, or your experiences do not come above the Word of God. There's a lot of people that experience a lot of whacked out stuff, especially in Christianity. I mean, strange stuff. I mean, you have believers barking like dogs and saying it's the Holy Spirit. You have all kinds of weird stuff going on in the church today. And they're experiencing that. But that doesn't mean that that supplants the Word of God, that that takes precedent over The word of God just because they experienced it. There's a a statement from the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy in 1978. And the first part of this had to deal with this sola scriptura. It says this in Article 1. We affirm that the Holy Scriptures are to be received as the authoritative word of God. We deny that the Scriptures receive their authority from the church, tradition, or any other human source. In other words, the Bible isn't the Bible because we say it's the Bible. The Word of God is the Word of God because it's the Word of God. Whether we believe that or not is really irrelevant. The second article says this, We affirm that the Scriptures are the supreme written norm by which God binds the conscience. And that the authority of the church is subordinate to that of the Scriptures. We deny that church creeds, councils, and declarations have authority greater than or equal to the authority of the Bible. And so when you stop and you think about that, what do we believe about the Bible? Well, we believe basically in three words when it comes to the inspiration of Scripture. We say it is the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Someone asked, what do you believe about the Bible? I believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's start with the last word first, inspiration. Inspiration means that the text of Scripture was breathed out by God himself. And then it was written down by men using their own gifts, their own words, and their own styles. So they weren't robots. That's why when you read through the Gospels, they're all written by different men. So one story may be told a little different than another. Why? Well, it's simple. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a financial guy. Luke was a doctor. Okay? He had different forms of makeup in their personality. And so we need to be, I think, reminded of the fact that God's word is God's word. That we don't need to apologize for that. It sounds close-minded. It sounds narrow But I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we don't just have an open field to play in when it comes to theology. Just to go do whatever we want to do. Or teach whatever we want to teach. See, that's the problem with so many churches today. Is they've taken this book and they've laid it aside. And they said, you know, that's old school. We're not going to teach the Bible. We're going to teach, you know, more practical stuff. How to have a better marriage. How to help with your finances. We're going to help people with counseling and all these kind of things. And all those things may be good things to know. But if you don't believe that as you teach through the Word of God, you're going to be covering those subjects because either this book is sufficient for our Christian life or it's not. And if it's not, then we better go figure out what else we should teach from. And that's really what the church has done. I mean, it amazes me what churches are teaching on Sunday mornings. I mean, I don't get out a lot, but I go on a lot of websites And sometimes it's just they're teaching somebody's book that they wrote. I mean, literally, the whole book, the whole church is buying these books, and they're literally going through it chapter by chapter, almost like it's Scripture. Now, the book itself is not maybe a bad book, but you can see the danger in taking one man's opinion of the Word of God and teaching that versus actually going to the text of Scripture and seeing what the Word of God has to say about any one subject. So... Be patient with me, but I just want to introduce the subject today. But I want to look at a couple of scriptures now, because that's exactly what we want to do. I don't want to just get up here and bloviate on the Word of God and why we think it's the Word of God. Let's look at what the Word of God says about the Word of God. Amen? So look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And you can go through Psalm 119 all day long about the Word of God. But we don't have time to do that. So I just picked out, basically one verse here out of psalm 119 and look at verse 89 so psalm 119 verse 89 says forever O lord your word look at is firmly fixed where in the heavens in the heavens it stands firm in the heavens and that that means it's unshakable that it's eternal that it doesn't change it isn't subject to our interpretation That's the other thing that people misunderstand quite a bit when you explain a certain scripture to them. They'll say, well, that's your interpretation. No, that's not my interpretation. The proper hermeneutic is to understand that there's only one interpretation of scripture, of any scripture. There may be many applications, but there's only one interpretation. Well, what is that interpretation? The interpretation of what the the writer, when he wrote it, intended it to mean. Well, how do you find that out? You've got to go to the context. You've got to read before. You've got to read after. You've got to figure out who's writing it, when they're writing it, what's going on. We've got to stop this willy-nilly playing games with the Word of God and just opening it up and say, Okay, what's this say? That's not how you study. That's not how you read the Bible. Because why? Because it is eternal and it stands fixed in the heavens for all eternity. Turn over to Psalm 138, just a couple pages to your right. And you can go through the Psalms and find verse after verse after verse. We just don't have time this morning to cover all of them. Psalm 138, look at verse, let's start in verse 1. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise, little g. I bow down before your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things. Look at what God has exalted above all things, beloved. What does he say? You have exalted what? Your name and what? Your word. So I think as a church, we need to be all about understanding that, first of all, this is the word of God. And secondly, we need to be all about studying the word of God. Because God says, I put that above everything else. It's my name and my word, and that's it. And that's a good way to start the new year. Where does God's name, where does God's word fit in your life? Where does it fit in your priorities? Are you doing things just for your name, for your sake? Or are you willing to give up your name and your plan and your purpose and say, you know what, God, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm going to honor you above all else come 2017. And I'm going to make time to study your word Because you put a priority on it. Over in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 24, our Lord Himself speaks so highly of the Word of God, being His own Word. He says in Matthew 24, verse 35, He says, Heaven and earth will pass away. Makes that statement. Tell that to the green crowd. Heaven and earth will pass away. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen because we're abusing the environment. It's just going to happen. One day, God is going to yield control back to the environment and just say, you know what? I'm going to let go. Christ himself is holding everything together right now. That's why things aren't just flying apart. That's why matter holds together. One day, Jesus Christ is going to say, you know what? Now's the time. Bye. And everything's just going to blow up. And so he says that it will pass away. Not maybe, not possibly, not only if you, you know, don't cut down the trees and drive electric cars, then, you know, it's not going to happen. No, it's going to pass away. And not only is heaven and earth going to pass away, but please understand, we're all going to pass away one day. And I, and I just say that because sometimes we think that we're above all that. We forget that heaven and earth will pass away. We forget that we one day will pass away. One day we'll be put in a casket or however means you're going to be buried, whatever. People will say a couple nice words and they'll get on with their life. That's what's going to happen. We don't like to think of that day, but that day will come pending the Lord's return. But look at the contrast here. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, all that's going to happen, but you know what? But... My words will what? Will never pass away. They will never pass away. Total contrast to everything going on around us. Total contrast to everything that holds our attention day in and day out. Total contrast to everything that pushes us to prioritize everything above the church. Everything above the word of God. Everything above glorifying God's name With our lives. That's all going to pass away. But God says my words. Jesus says my words will never ever pass away. They're eternal. I mean if you knew. That somehow. You know your car. That needed four new tires. You're going to go down and spend $400. To put brand new tires on. Tomorrow afternoon. If somehow you could have a premonition or somehow you could see the future and you knew that next Friday your car was going to be totally demolished in an accident, you were going to be fine, but the car is going to be totally, I mean, it's going to catch on, it's just going to burn up. Would you still go tomorrow and buy four new tires for that car that you knew was going to be gone in less than a week? You wouldn't do it. Nobody would. That wouldn't make any sense. And yet so many times, that's how we live our lives, beloved. We forget that, you know what, everything around us is passing away. But this book, the words of this scriptures will never, ever pass away. Think about that the next time that you pick up the best-selling Christian book instead of the Bible. Because you know what, that book's going to burn up i not saying they're not good. It's not good to read. It's great to use other resources, but you know what? If the other resources take precedent over your time with God and His Word that will never pass away, you got a little bit of a problem.
0: Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650 9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.